I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. growing convergence of information technology and biotechnology are creating a compelling new group of companies that live in both these worlds at once. Lux Capital, which has long invested in both sectors, has a growing portfolio of these emerging tech bio companies. We spoke to Adam Goldburn, partner at Lux Capital, about his investment process, how he tempers the promise of technology with management realities and market timelines, and the changing landscape for venture investing. Adam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. We're going to talk about the convergence of the life sciences with information technology, Lux Capital, and your own approach to investing Uh, Not to disparage your peers, but it doesn't take a neuroscientist to be a venture capitalist, but you, however, are a neuroscientist. Uh, How did you become a venture capitalist? Uh, I'll ignore the first part on it doesn't take a neuroscientist to be a venture capitalist, which is true, by the way. Um, uh, You know, I was always fascinated um, with science and in particular the, you know, the interface between science, innovation, technology, and business. So my background, I actually did a, a business degree. Well, in Australia, I did a business degree and a science degree. I just, I really loved the the technology piece and the, the life science piece. So I ended up um, getting a little bit more of a technical degree with a, with a PhD and then a postdoc um, from Cornell over here. So I went down um, that route in terms of, um, you know, the path towards investing in early stage, uh, uh, you know, venture and creation. Um, but it, you know, th- that's not the only, only way you need to go. So, but I was always kind of, um, it's always what I wanted to do. Uh, you're, you're a partner at Lux Capital for listeners who may not be familiar with Lux. Where does it sit in terms of the venture capital landscape? What's its world of investments? What, types of companies does it invest in and and what size investments does it make and at what stages? Great. Lots of questions there to unpack. So um, look, Lux Capital is a generalist uh, firm and fund. Um, Some people might say we're a deep tech fund or a frontier uh, fund. I I like to think of us investing in uh, people, technologies and companies that are uh, inventing the future. So turning science fiction into science fact um, you know, one of the things I say to entrepreneurs when we're having conversations, you know, I like to say, you know, we invest in no ideas too early and no ideas too crazy. Um, and so that means we're investing across a whole host of, of different technology companies from uh, drones to satellites to 3D printing to surgical robotics and, yes, biotech. Um, you know, we cut our teeth uh you know, in early stage uh, investing. So first, think of it as first rounds of funding. And that can be as early as two, uh, you know, two people in a room and, you know, an idea on the back of a napkin. We, we certainly have done 
company creation and I've started uh, three companies myself in the biotech space. Um, but, uh, you know, first or second institutional uh, round of funding is is where we uh, tend to invest, although um, most recently, you know, we raised two funds, which, you know, the second fund that enables us to invest uh, in later stage rounds where we want to continue to double down across our, our winning investments. Biotech has long been the domain of specialized funds. I'm wondering from a cultural point of view, what's it like inside a a firm that invests in both tech and biotech, given that they move along such different timelines. How does that temper investment decisions within Lux? And, and does it make this emerging area that's being called tech bio uh, an easier thing to do within a firm like that? Well, yeah, I mean, look, there's always some of that, that tension there on kind of timelines or time horizons of investments. Um, you know, I, I'll say there's a large amount of that initial question is, is, is true. And then, you know, some part of that is being challenged right now. Um, you know, across the investments that we make, um, you know, quite a few of them need to be capitalized well. They're long-term time horizons. They're uh, maturation of technology that are um, transformational, not incremental. And so I think the differentiator with the, the biotech or the life science um, portfolio is just where are the value inflection points? You know, they're, they're not revenue generating, although, you know, we, we do seek a long-term, you know, time horizon with our investments. And so we want to stay very long with our, our companies, be it biotech or robotics or, or, or self-driving cars. Um, so it's really about thinking about the, the value inflection points on the biotech side and how do we get future funding? You know, how do we build those, those, those teams and, and technologies out in order to set the company up for success. I think the, the last thing, you know, I'll say to that question is what works for us in, 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 in biotech and life sciences is, is the sector that we tend to seek out. And that is large platform investments. Um, so not focused on a single asset or a single disease sector. Um, and those platforms are um, often, if not all, all the time, uh, uh, cross-pollinated with multiple technologies, be it automation, robotics, AI, machine learning. Um, and so that means the remainder of our portfolio that's non-biotech, which is probably, you know, 65, 70% isn't sitting off on, on an island or the biotech portfolio isn't sitting off on an island. You know, we're tapping into that expertise of all those other companies that can funnel into our, our biotech investments. I imagine whether it's a technology company or a biotech company or something in between that that there's something that constitutes a Lux investment. There's a commonality to the to that. What is a company that Lux would invest in? What are the qualities it looks for? Well, I mean, uh, you know, team and people is is the one thing that stands across, you know, whatever sector we're investing in, whether it's early stage or late stage investing, you're, you're looking for, you know, incredible um, founders, entrepreneurs, operators, and, 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 people that can scale a business and grow a business. Um, you know, I think I'm, when you think about the life sciences, um, you know, we're, we're looking for uh, the transformative rather than the incremental. I gave a little bit of a, you know, insight into it before, you know, we, we, we won't specifically look for, you know, a single asset that's in dermatology or a single asset that's in, you know, ophthalmology. Um, you know, we, we look for companies like Recursion, um, which is doing, you know, phenotypic cell screening using computer vision. Icon, which is, and is, Recursion is now a public company. 
icon, um, which is using uh, cutting edge uh, microscopes to look at protein-protein interactions. And so these technologies and platforms can be applied to, to multiple um, uh, you know, multiple disease areas. So I, I think for us, you know, we think about the size of the market, how how transformative the technology is, and certainly, um, you know, the teams that are that are, you know, that we're partnered with and, and investing behind. So, what are some of the transformative technologies that are out there that are that are exciting you and uh, attracting you to to invest? Yeah, I, um, look, I'll use. The, I'll use the buzzword that most people seem to be using today, but it, it, it holds true for, for biotech. Um, you know, AI and ML, so artificial intelligence and machine learning, are really, um, you know, at, at the earliest stages of, of showing their value towards biotech and drug discovery. I think we're entering a new world of what is, you know, scaled biology or the industrialization of biology, where, um, you know, uh, the existing foundations that we built will be will go hand in hand with, you know, computers and machines that will enable us to do a lot more um, and be a lot more targeted in what we do um, and, and a lot more efficient. Um, so that's one area. You know, I, I think specifically looking at um, imaging within um, biology and life sciences and drug discovery, and that lends itself to computer vision. Imaging has disrupted, you know, every other industry that we've looked at, be it you know, uh, satellites that, you know, that can count the number of cars in, in car parks at shopping centers for, you know, for the, you know, for, for fintech um, opportunities or Wall Street for people doing investing um, or, you know, uh, computer vision for, you know, self-driving cars that can see the outside world. I think all of that technology is now coming to, to biology and we're starting to, to peer and look into cells um, and and life like we've never been able to see before. It's it's usually been, you know, snapshots in time on fixed or frozen cells. Now we're looking at life in in its real um, in its real form. And so and then you know a couple of others like CRISPR. I think you know it's it, it, it may be you know an old legacy sort of um, technology to some, but we're only just scratching the surface of what that technology can do from you know a, a, being a molecular toolkit for scientists. Um, you know, in the lab and then single cell sequencing in a similar vein. It's been around for a number of years now, um, but I think it's redefining how we classify cell types, which is who we are, which means, you know, redefining how we think about targets as for drugs. Um, and then there's a second layer of technologies that are coming on top of uh, single cell sequencing, like um, spatial transcriptomics, where are these, you know, um, expression levels happening within a cell and so on and so forth. So they're just a couple of, um, you know, areas that we're diving into at Lux. Well, how do you distinguish between compelling science and something that really warrants having a company built around it? You know, this, this for me, I think if you asked a hundred, um, you know, biotech investors, you'd, you'd probably get a wide range of answers. This for me is, is a little bit more, you know, art than science. And, and, you know, I, I think at Lux, we're probably given a little bit more leeway given that, you know, we are investing at the cutting edge and we are investing at the earliest stages, right? So, you know, we do thesis development here where we explore and probe certain areas and new technologies. And, you know, we're, you know, our investors in our fund have given us, you know, we're, you know, we're fortunate they've given us um, the ability to go invest in these areas. In fact, they expect us to. So um, I think, um, you know, we invest in, um, uh, you know, uh, transformative science, not big science. We're not investing in, 
in, in, in, in research projects. And, and some of that is just patent recognition. I think people matter. So we're backing um, academic scientists that have built um, companies from scratch um, before and know when the time is right for their technology to be commercialized. And so it's an ongoing conversation. And look, sometimes we have to choose in order to, to believe that a certain area is going to be um, a lot more um, meaningful um, and, and valuable, you know, three, four, five years down the line. And, you know, one company that we started is a company here in New York called Calliope. Um, that was a company that was focused on the gut-brain axis. We started that company five, six years ago when the gut-brain axis was just emerging. And right now it's a, you know, very hot area in terms of a new modality and a new paradigm to target um, various diseases through your gut. Um, we needed to make that bet five years in advance in order to build the barrier and a moat that we have on the technology and the platform side. So some of it is a little bit of a, you know, I know we're talking science here, but some of it is a little bit of a leap of faith. I, I, if I'm correct, you are the founding CEO of the company. Yeah. And that's something we do here at Lux, you know, um, you, you know, the, as founding CEO, my job is to find, you know, the, 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 the person to back, you know, that that's my number one priority, you know, in that, in that role. And so Nancy Thornberry, who was the CEO that we brought in is, is truly exceptional, spent 25 years at Merck and built their most successful drug of all time. And she wanted to jump in, you know, head first and build the company from, from, from scratch. So, you know, I hired the first 10 people, including Nancy rolled up, you know, my sleeves in order to kind of build a little bit of that infrastructure, but it was certainly Nancy that took it from there to build it to a hundred person team that it is today and raise, you know, in excess of a couple hundred million dollars. Using that as an example, you know, let's go a little deeper. Walk me through the thought process as a venture capitalist. When, when did you see the opportunity? What were the, the issues as you thought it through as a potential investment and, and what, led to the decision to put money into this and energy into building a company? Yeah, every, you know, I know I just spoke about Calliope and I'll go a little bit deeper on that, but, you know, every investment is different and certainly it's different when you're building a company from scratch, you know, investing in, you know, what is known as the first round of funding, a seed round or even a series A um, financing, which tends to be, you know, a little bit later than a seed and a little bit larger. Um, so, you know, when, when it's building a company from scratch, it's certainly um, around, you know, the people and technology for Calliope, you know, that was based on three incredible um, scientific founders, Charles Zucker, Tom Maniatis, Richard Axel, you know, Nobel Prize winners, Lasker Award winners, based, but all three based here in, at Columbia University. And they had a big idea on deploying technology to map the gut brain axis. So in that sense, it was, you know, the risks were, you know, could we build a team here in New York? Could we raise the financing? Would the technology work? We always take technology risk with what we do, right? It's about minimizing that and the other areas, um, you know, of risk that we see. So, um, you know, we felt like we had a, you know, quote unquote monopoly around, you know, a really um, good idea and, and, and somewhat, you know, ball control when you're, um, uh, when you're, uh, when you're building it from scratch. Now with other companies, um, you know, when you're assessing them a little bit later, you still have some of those same thought processes. Is this the right team and, and management and the leadership? Um, you know, how differentiated is the technology? Can they build a barrier and a moat? Is this an N of one or two or three company, not an N of, you know, 30 or 40? We really do look for um, differentiated um, businesses and, and often that differentiation and competitive advantage is based on the technology. 
Um, so, you know, that, you know, that's a little bit of, and, and then, you know, size of outcome for us, you know, we're, you know, our early stage fund is a $700 million fund. Um, you know, our LPs, our limited partners that um, give us the, the, the money to invest, you know, expect a, you know, a return on their money, obviously. And, um, and so, you know, if we spend three or four or five years building businesses and then either, you know, take that company public or, or sell that company, you know, as, as a means of an exit and it only returns, you know, 10% of the fund, then, you know, it's less about the return and, and the investment. It's more about the time that we don't get back to invest in other higher yielding, you know, return on investment. So it's a roundabout way of saying we're seeking, you know, multi-billion, if not decabillion um, businesses, you know, 10 billion plus where you can really return the fund with your investment. So you're looking for that outsized return. And so the markets need to be quite large. You've mentioned people a number of times. We're seeing more and more scientific founders raising large amounts of capital. Uh, They may be terrific scientists, but they may not have experience or, or talent as managers. How much of a role does management first technology play in your decision making? And, and given that you're, you're investing at such an early stage, you know, is it just something that you look to change as the company grows? Well, you know, I, I, I will say that like m- most academics that I've worked with uh, or have witnessed in, you know, sort of other fundings from other firms, you know, most of those academics are fine being scientific founders, right? And and deferring to, you know, others to be management. And often those academic, you know, founders that I work with, um, you know, help recruit those um, the, the, those operators or management and, and they come from their network. Um, some of those academics like to take board seats if they can or be on the SAB. I, I think it's a hard um, shift from, you know, becoming an academic, um, you know, professor to being running a company, I, I've seen it done well. Um, I've seen it done poorly, right? It, it, it's a challenge. It's not, I'm not saying we wouldn't invest behind those people. In fact, we have. Um, but most academic founders that I see, um, you know, tend to take a portfolio approach. They want to, they want to start a number of companies. You can think of the folks like, you know, Bob Langer out of MIT and Fung Zhang and George Church at Harvard and even Charles Zucker, who we've backed a number of times. So, you know, we, we've built three companies around Charles. So one of the things that are changing, which you're 100% right on, is, um, you know, academic founders are, you know, are, you know, and are and have been for some time now, you know, the rock stars of life sciences. And, and it, that's better and better for them. You know, they're they're probably getting more equity in these companies and taking more of a role and, um, you know, that only um, helps with the success of the company. You mentioned LPs a moment ago. At the end of the day, you've got to deliver returns to them. Uh, how do you think about exits? One, one of the challenges about making bets on emerging technologies is you can be absolutely right about the potential of a technology, but underestimate the time it'll take to make it commercially viable or successful in the interim, we've seen multi-billion-dollar valuations long before there are commercial products. So, how do you think about your exit opportunities, and when is the time right? Well, the timing question is: you, you will definitely get a hundred different questions if you ask different hundred different people. But um, uh, look, when you when you talk about biotech, uh, you know specifically in terms of exits, you're really you're thinking about IPO and taking a company public or or M and A, which is 
usually when big farmer with you know which tend to have you know large cash balances on their balance sheet um you know they look for emerging biotech to to really be the innovation engine for them and then they will be the commercial engine right not only the commercial engine but you know obviously coming earlier and earlier and looking at helping out on development right running the clinical trials and even going earlier and getting a you know a, a window into what you know the technology is developing preclinical so they're they're the two paths you know i think um you know what we look to to invest in you know we're not looking you know we're not looking to flip companies in in a short period of time and and i think the best in, in our best investments is when you know we've we've built solid foundations around as i said before team and technology in a sector that we think is quite differentiated and and quite in a, you know has a ton of innovation um and then those potential exits at the right time will come you know the biotech window most people would tell you today or you know it, it, you know ipo window is is you know, it's quite soft, right? It's, it's hard to take a company public if you're a biotech company and the returns haven't been quite good. And so you need, if you want to stay, you know, private longer, you need to seek capital in different areas. Um, and, um, you know, M&A, I expect to probably, you know, pick up in terms of its frequency in the, in the, in the coming months, given that that window isn't open. So um, they're, they're mainly the two windows, you know, exit sort of scenarios you, you look for at, uh, in a biotech company. We've been in a period where there have been huge amounts of venture capital available for biotech specifically. How much competition is there for good deals? And do you feel you have to make a case for Lux being able to bring more than money to a deal? And if so, what's the value add? A hundred percent. I mean, there is a ton of competition. I I think, as I mentioned earlier on um, in our discussion, we're at the very earliest innings of what I think is you know, scaling biology and, 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 um, you know, kind of machine and data driven kind of uh, technologies that will, will improve drug discovery. Um, you know, th- th- that question could probably be a, a discussion for a whole other podcast. Um, you know, there's life science, traditional life science, biotech funds, there's generalist funds, growth funds. Um, and now there's a ton of individuals that are wanting to, you know, invest in, in matter that matters, right. Invest in, um, they've seen things like Moderna that have, you know, literally changed, you know, the planet and the world, um, uh, you know, and, and that was a company that was founded, you know, 10 years or so ago now. And and, and people want to be involved in that. Uh, look, we've been investing at, at Lux in biotech for 20 years. So we have a history here. We're not a quote unquote tourist, um, you know, investor. You know, we've invested across the last, you know, six or seven funds that we've had in biotech. Um, so we're, even though we're not day in, day out biotech, that's where I spend most of my time and my colleague Zavin does, um, you know, we're, we've been investing in biotech for, for, uh, for two decades. I think the other thing that differentiates us is we've built companies from scratch. So we know what it takes to build teams, build technologies, license technologies, raise capital, um, and set the company up for success. And, and, and our entrepreneurs and founders that we've worked with, um, you know, appreciate that. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, um, you, you know, the areas and sectors that we invest in, um, you know, the platform uh, cross-pollination of multiple technologies, you know, our other portfolio companies aren't off on an island. Um, and so it's really powerful when, you know, these other uh, companies that we've invested in and, and we're on the boards of, be it, you know, uh, data architecture um, companies, machine learning, AI companies, robotics companies, automation companies, when you can combine 
our biotech, you know, companies, our, you know, CEOs and CTOs and CSOs, you know, with um, the, the equivalent in those other companies, like one plus one doesn't equal two. It really does set them apart and, and accelerate their timeline. So I think that really does differentiate us in the life sciences uh, investing space. At the same time, there's been a, a staggering sell-off in biotech. There have been a number of companies that have gone public in recent years that I think five years ago would have had to have relied on venture capital for funding. But today, you know, we're seeing preclinical companies go public. How has that affected valuations? Well, valuations, I mean, stating the obvious on the on the public side, you know, are, are a lot softer, right? Like the, the, you know, but I think what's positive for those companies that are public, they, they've raised capital right now and they have to prove out with that capital. So, I, you know, I would be, you know, if I was on the board of those companies, I would be saying, let's make sure we get to the next value, you know, milestone if we need to raise more capital or make sure that, um, you know, we get to, a, you know, a, you know, the, the right moment in time with the capital that we have. I don't think the valuations, um, uh, you know, on the private side, um, um, you know, have changed that much. But private always, you know, tends to, to to lag public investing, right? Like if you're not getting that potential exit on the on the IPO public side, then you know you need to start thinking about those those valuations. There, there's still a ton of, you know, I'm sure you've you've seen that there were a number of new funds and raised be it emerging managers, new managers or existing managers, there's still a ton of um, capital in the market. Uh, and so um, I think there'll be a, a real competition and heat for high quality companies and teams. Um, and then, and then, you know, on the other side, it might be, a, a, you know, quite challenging to, to, to raise capital at the valuations that were previously seen, but that that's only just starting to happen right now. Looking out uh, during the next year, are you expecting to see down rounds? Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's certainly been a while. Um, you know, I, as I mentioned, I think the, the, the winners will only get stronger and, and those that are struggling may need to think creatively about, you know, you know how and when from who they raise capital. Um, maybe they do it sooner at less of a, you know, evaluation increase. Um, you know, and then make sure they have the the firepower to to see out, you know, what is a fairly volatile moment in time. Um, but yeah, I, maybe. I mean, this is still that's still a TBD for me. I, I think there's enough capital out there that, you know, the 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 real kind of impressive teams and and assets and technologies and and companies um, will continue to do well. Adam Goldburn partner at Lux Capital. Adam, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.